seek you this morning with our whole heart, Lord. You're what we need. Would you fill the dry places in us this morning? Yes, Father. This is why we gather to worship you, to encounter you, Lord. of us and more of you. 
know the hurts of our hearts, God. You know the desires of our heart, Lord. Would you shape us, Lord, more to be your son? Would you give us what we need more than what we want, Lord? Would you create new desires in us, Lord, to follow after you, a hunger for you, Lord Jesus? Help us know that the things of this life will fade, Lord, but you never will. Yes, God, all glory to you and honor, Lord.
come on my soul oh don't you get shy on me lift up your song because you've got a lion inside of those lungs get up and praise the lord oh come on my soul oh don't you get shy on me lift up your song Cause you've got a lion inside of those lungs Get up and praise the Lord yes. Oh, come on, my soul Oh, don't you get shy on me Lift up your song Cause you've got a lion inside of those lungs Get up and praise the Lord Come on, my soul. Oh, don't you get shy on me. Lift up your song. Cause they've got a lion inside of those lungs. Get up and praise the Lord. Yeah. So I lower my hands and praise you again and again. Cause all that for a heart singing hallelujah 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 we worship so Yes, we love you. What can we say? 
Father, we just thank you. We honor you, Lord. We are humbled that you love us. What is man that you consider him? But you do, Lord. You count, crown us with your grace and your love. We're just humbled by your presence here this morning. That you would die for ones like us. That you would seal us with your spirit, Lord. So we won't be dead in our sins, but alive in your spirit. We thank you, Lord. What else can we do but thank you and worship you? And love each other as you have loved us, God. So we just thank you, Lord. Would you continue to transform us as we hear your word in your presence, Lord. So we just thank you, we worship you, we glorify you, we exalt you, Lord, we praise you, we thank you, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jason. Let's give it up for the worship team. And give yourself all a round of applause and really ushering uh, the spirit. To be really, really having the spirit just be upon us. I hear everyone praising, worshiping, pouring their hearts out. So I am grateful for that. I am grateful for that. So welcome. Welcome to our 930 service. Uh, this is one of 46 New Life services. So very grateful that everyone's here today. Um, despite the crazy weather that we've been having and all the rain, you know, that's just, those are just tests. If anyone was impacted, we're praying for you. Those that, that are encountering health, or health issues, we're, we're praying for you because those are just challenges that God's, God, God's got that figured out. And we have to be grateful for his word and his promises. Amen? Amen? All right. So if there's any little ones here, I think we have kids zone today. Is that correct, Pastor? All right. So I'll dismiss the little ones. All right. And speaking of children, right, children is one of the most prized, um, uh, most precious prizes of, of God. Um, I don't know if we have those slides because I, I understand that the youth is at youth camp and today is their last day as well. Uh, so if we have those up there, look at that. That's the next generation of, of, uh, of leaders, of leaders in the kingdom of God there. So there's some great work that's being done there. Uh, so why don't we just bow our heads and pray over, over their last day. That, that, um, well, let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the means the means that you provide us to further your kingdom and those children that are there, the youth that is there, Lord, Heavenly Father, may, may your word pierce their hearts, penetrate their hearts, their minds, and their souls, Lord. 
of what it is really intended to live in, in your word, in your path, and not of the world, Heavenly Father. Thank you for protecting them because as we know, as we step out in, in, in faith and pursue you, that we get attacked. So we, we're praying. We're praying protection over the children. We're praying protection over, over those that, that, that are watching them, that, that are chaperoning them, Heavenly Father. And we're praying for safe travels as well, Lord. And we thank you for these opportunities to continue to grow uh, your kingdom and grow our children. We declare all this possible and I'll glorify you in the name of Jesus Christ. Together we say, amen. All right. So no major announcements this week. So this is a, uh, we're going to, to go in, into the giving talk. And um, this past week, um, you know, I, I set my schedule up to do certain things and just trying to be as disciplined as I can. One is just really physically working out and there's always something that gets in your way so there's always reminders in life to get us back on track and I just think that God's word is our GPS to life right we get off track we get lost there's a detour but it brings us back so when we just see slides of of the youth and just the the opportunity that we have um, I, I ask it and sometimes we forget the purpose of things so what is the purpose of giving tithes and offerings simply put the truth of God's tithes and offerings is what we bring ourselves closer to him when we give. We trust in him. Um, so Jesus says in Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Giving tithes and offerings puts our love for God before our worldly wealth and shows that our heart is always with him. And that's just a reminder because every time I tend not to watch a lot of TV and just watch the news just to be uh, informed of things. But every time you turn the, the, the TV on, there's always something better, newer, and it's just forcing you to go get the newest stuff, right? So there's a lot of things in the world that, that will deviate you from the path that, that God has for us. So just a great reminder uh, of what the purpose of giving and tithes is. And then also just what, if we look back six months ago, <laughs> half a year, where we've come as a congregation as well, new faces that... that, that, that um, uh, have entered through these doors, baptisms that happen, happen uh, as well in, in, this, in this place, and then also um, just the lives that have been transformed, right? And that's just, that's possible because of us showing up physically, spiritually, and financially. So let's pray over, over our, our giving. There's, there's two ways for those that are new, and I forgot. I just went into things. I want to welcome our first-time guests. <laughs> Forgive me. Thank you so much for being here. And for those watching on Facebook as well. So, uh, again, giving is what God puts in your heart, right? But it, it draws us closer to him because he multiplies. He's multiplied here. And we're, we're living testament to that. So one way that, that you can give, everything's pretty automated now. You can actually download the, the New Life app. And there's a, a very secure way of, of giving because it's a two-way two identification. Once you put in the amount, you upload the, the information. Uh, there's a code that you receive pertinent to your cell phone there, so then they know it's you. Uh, and then there's also envelopes that there's going to be ushers at the end of service too uh, that can accept your uh, offering. But let's play over the offering. Every Father, we are so grateful for today and every day that you give to us, Lord. Uh, even though that we think that we're making this possible, we are reminded you are in control. You're the one who's making all of this possible. Thank you for multiplying our finances, multiplying our growth in your word multiplying forgiveness, love, peace, and all the fruits of the Spirit, Heavenly Father. You are the one that makes all this possible. Thank you for the youth and then just good stewardship of, of what we're called to do to further advance 
uh, your kingdom. So we thank you for a giving heart, a cheerful giving heart as well, and um, that the Spirit continues to speak to us on what we have to do with our finances, because ultimately, you're the provider, those are your finances. So we thank you, we glorify you, and in Jesus' name we all say amen. Let's welcome Pastor Tom. He looks like he's going out to the links after this. <laughs> Let me put, uh, we're, we're on, you guys can all hear me, correct? Man, this is a wonderful day. I don't know, right from the beginning, I could feel God's presence. I mean, I always feel God's presence uh, because it's a matter of faith. It's not sometimes, it, it's not really a matter of feeling. It's what you know to be true. God is present with his people all the time, but sometimes it's so close. And this morning, it was really close, man. It was right up on me. And what did it do, man? Right from the beginning, it breaks me down. I start crying. And uh, you know what? I can tell you there's many times I've, I've cried tears of, of sadness, emptiness, shame, regret. But there's a difference uh, when you cry in the presence of the Lord. It's, it's a joy because... Every one of us was born to desire more than anything else. And that's what he gives us. And he gives us without, without measure. That's an amazing thing. So, hi, and I'm excited, excited uh, to, uh, to, to be preaching this morning. Let's open up our Bibles to the book of Philippians, chapter 3. We're going to read 1 through 12, uh, 1 through 12 verses, and uh, we need to pray. Father God, we're... Um, we're overwhelmed by the kindness, the kindness, the generosity, the faithfulness, Lord God. Your ability to lift us out of holes and pits, Lord God. Uh, your willingness to travel with us through, uh, through long journeys, Lord God, where we kind of trip over the same things time and time again. And um, we're, we're, we're constantly prone to look at the same glittery stuff that we know is not worth anything. There's no value in it. But yet you never say that's enough. You, you never quit. You say, no, 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 I'm going to accomplish what I have set out to do. And Lord God, we thank you for that. Can I ask you to transform our hearts? Meet us here, Lord God. Comfort our hearts, lift us up, transform us, Lord. Return to us a new, a newness of joy in our salvation, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Sorry, a little bit emotional. Thank you, Jason, for that one. Uh, so, uh, man, this the, the worship is powerful. All right, so let's start reading from three one in Philippians. One of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite books of all times. It's kind of hard for me to say that because every time I read a New Testament epistle, I always go, "This is my favorite one." But this is truly one of my favorites because. I can remember when I got saved, this was one of the first books that we had studied in my men's group, and it just bowled me over. So it says this, Paul speaking, he says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same thing to you again and again, for it is a safeguard for you. Why is this a great statement? First of all, he's in jail. You know, I, we, get, we get a brother here who works for the Cook County Police Department, and he has to put people in jail that are awaiting prison sentences where they are imprisoned. Nobody's joyful when they're in prison. I don't care what. 
But Paul is joyful in his prison. Why? Now, I grant you, he's not in Cook County, or he's not in Stateville, or he's not in one of the maximum security prisons. He's in a home prison, but he's very much in doubt. Everything, man, he's got no, he's got no guarantee for anything. Doesn't even know how he's going to provide for his next meal. That's the way it worked back then. And yet he's joyful, and he's so joyful that he's pointing to his brothers and sisters and said, I want to tell you this again and again and again. It's no problem for me to say it. Rejoice in the Lord. This is our first command today, and it's a great command. Find reasons to rejoice in the Lord. Find reasons. Wake up in the morning and say, Lord, you've given me a new day. You've opened up my eyes. You, I, I realize that I'm not an outsider. I'm an insider. I'm saved, Lord God. Nothing can happen to snatch me out of your hands. Lord God, whether I have three meals or one meal, whether I'm going to choose to fast today or whether I'm going to choose to feast, Lord God, I have a reason to praise you because of your love for me. I want you to do that this week. Why you do it? Why? Because we remember, remember what we're saying, the whole point of this whole series is from my position, the soil that God has planted my salvific life, all the fruit that God wants comes up out of that soil. If I forget where I'm at, this place of rest, peace, acceptance, welcome, the fruit is going to be very limited in my life. I can't be joyful until I'm grasped, and I mean really, truly grasped. That's why I cried. That's why I cried the way I did. Literally couldn't even continue to, to sing. Why? Because I was overwhelmed by God going, you're mine. You're mine. You know why? Maybe that doesn't mean much to you. But do you know who hates me more than anyone else on this earth? That's the truth. I hate myself sometimes. Voices come out of me. Boy, they condemn me. Satan doesn't have to do anything. He just kind of stands up there and says, man, this guy does a great job. <laughs> now, if he could give an award, he'd give me an award for condemning myself. Sometimes, maybe there's a little justification in, in, in being disappointed with myself. But what I felt there was him going, no, no, no. The only thing you got to focus on is my words to you and my commitment toward you. So I'm sorry. That was a little another sermon. Sermonette. So watch out for those dogs, he says. Watch out for those evil men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. What's he talking about? He's talking about the, the Judaizers, the one who came in and said, yes, you need to follow Jesus. Yes, he is the Messiah, but you need to do these things as well. Now, guess what? Their arguments were good arguments. And people were like, hmm, maybe these guys are right. I do got to do these things as well. And if I don't do these things, somehow it separates me just a little bit from the love of God in Jesus Christ. And Paul's like, no, this is not the gospel. This does not bring life. And what God wants to produce inside of you will never be produced if this is a thought in your mind. Even 10% of a thought in your mind. So I want you to remember that. There's always this tendency inside of us to want to earn a portion of our salvation. And this is going to be really important with the whole sermon. So he says this. We are the circumcision. We who worship 
by the Spirit of God who glory in Christ Jesus, who have put no confidence in the flesh, though I have a reason for such confidence. It's like, hey, listen, these guys think they got a reason to puff themselves up. Let me give you my old resume. We all know what a resume is, right? That's the thing that we give to that potential employer for them to say, you know what? We, this organization, needs someone like you. We do it when we meet a pretty girl. Amen, guys? We kind of put some gel in our hair. We put some cologne on, some clean clothes, which is weird for us. You know what I mean? And we don't, you know, we don't smell like sweat and dirt. And we try to put some stuff on. And it, that's our resume, right? Because we want this beautiful girl to find us attractive. It's something about fallen humanity. Something about fallen humanity. If anyone thinks he has reasonable confidence in flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew amongst other Hebrews. In regards to the law, I'm a Pharisee. As for zeal, I persecuted the church. As for legalistic righteousness, you could not bring fault against me. That's not a boastful claim. He's really serious. If you and I were to aim at auditing his life, we'd be hard-pressed to point and say, you failed here, Paul. He's not lying. But whatever was my prophet, I now consider lost for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything I had a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider all that riches, all that stuff, rubbish. And that's not the word he uses. It's another word, and it's way dirtier. That's the word he uses in Holy Scripture. He says, this was my worth, and now looking at what Christ has done for me, who I am in him, I look at that and I'm like, I, I used to think that stuff was valuable. It's garbage. I drive a garbage truck. When it's 90 degrees, garbage has a particular smell. It is not pleasant. It smells a little like death. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship in sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And to somehow, because he doesn't understand how, this is him, this is him point blank saying, I don't have all the answers. The great Paul, the guy who months earlier, no, 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 at this point it's about 20 years. 20 years earlier, he, if you would have ever got him to a place to where he said he didn't know, that would be a killer for him. He prided himself on knowing all there was to know about God. And now he's like, hey man, I look at all this stuff as being worthless to somehow obtain Christ and receive this, this resurrection from the dead. How could God do it? I have no idea, but I know this. He's gonna. That's what he's kind of saying here. This is an awesome statement, man. Then he goes on to say this. Okay, not that I've already obtained this or I've already been made perfect, but I do this. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Beautiful, beautiful statement. He's like, man, I see it all laid before me. I see the treasures of heaven. I see 
treasure of Christ. I see the infinite worth, and that's mine. And I don't even know how he's going to give it to me, but I know it's mine. How am I going to get it? I have no idea. I don't know how he's going to do it. All I know is it is. I, I know it's already done. And he says, because of this, I know that there's a journey before me, and I'm going to live like this to try to grab hold of it. He's using extreme effort to grasp at that which is beyond his reach. That's the Christian life in a nutshell. Think I'm lying? Men, we're told to love our, li our wives like Christ loved his church. You ever do that? No. Don't say you have. Because you'd be sinning. But wives, what are you told to do? Out of honor and out of love for your husband, Christ Jesus, you're supposed to honor your husband above honoring and trusting in yourself. <laughs> wow, these are powerful, powerful things. Um, uh, this scripture, in my opinion, is the most compelling and inspiring testimony that has ever been written in scripture. And it encourages me to follow Christ with a wholehearted devotion. One of the things, if you write this, it's a good thing to write down. Jesus is after wholehearted devotion, and that should be frightening to us. You know why? Because in my uh, duality of who I am, the spiritual new man that's been raised from the dead, given the spirit of God, and the old man, the old man wants me to believe wholehearted devotion means sadness on this earth. Tell me that's not true. If I really want to be holy, then everything that's good and glimmery and pretty and, and, and worth anything, I have to say no to. I got to kind of live in this holy poverty, right? Well, sometimes he calls us to those things, but most times he doesn't. Most times he tells us to enjoy what he's created. Most times he tells us, go out, dance, sing, eat well, love each other. Uh, you know, go and, and splash around in puddles. I, I was, we had a block party yesterday, and I turned on the hydrant. Why? Because I'm old school Chicago. And the, who comes out? The little kids. Like out of the woodwork. What? They're in there. And what were the littlest ones doing? In the puddles on the side. And I go look at them. They're about two inches tall. They're so cute. They're so full of life. They're enjoying just the simple pleasure of just jumping around in puddles. And I'm telling you, this kind of hits it with Christ. He offers us this, this simplicity of life. This is why it is a, 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 it is a good uh, pursuit to, to get after what Jesus wants. Jesus wants our wholehearted devotion. Now, on the back end of that, I want you to remember, because he wants his wholehearted devotion, he is systematically and relentlessly pursuing and wanting to eliminate our idols. Now, this is where it gets a little bit tricky and a little uncomfortable. Everyone in this room has idols. We still have them. We came bags full of them when Christ saved us, and now he's unpacking them. And some of them are really, really heavy idols. We've been carrying them for a long time. Let me give you a small list of what those idols are. In independence. Some of us love independence. That's why we keep the church at just a little bit of a distance. I come on Sunday. I might even serve, but 
My life's my life. My time's my time. My money's my money. My effort's my effort. So I'm here, but I ain't here. Here's another one for you. Comfort. Comfort is a big one for me now. I want comfort. I want things that are going to offer me comfort. I'm afraid to let go of certain things because I'm like, well, if I don't have those things that I believe bring comfort, I'm not going to have comfort. Here's another one. This was my old one that constantly wants to reach out to me. That's my old idol. Pleasure. Pleasure offers me escape. It offers me a taste of transcendence. That's what pleasure really does. And pleasure can really lead us down some very, very dark, dark roads. Here's the other idol, security. Security. Well, that usually revolves around money. Because we all know money isn't everything, but the more money that you have, uh, the less suffering that you uh, incur. So we're afraid to let God add our finances. It's been said that that's the last thing that's converted in a man's life, is his wallet. Why? Because it's connected to a powerful idol. Here's another one. Self-satisfaction. That's the pride of life. Me being a great parent. Me being a great entrepreneur. Me being the best worker. These are all roots of self-satisfaction that I want to hold on to. Why? Because these things, well, let let me go back to it. I want to talk about idols for just two seconds. An idol will promise me freedom It will promise me fulfillment, but in reality, what it offers me is slavery, dissatisfaction, and ultimate loss. Believe you me, if any of those things are preeminent things in my life, they're all good things. Don't get me wrong. They're all good things. Maybe that self-independence might be a little bit dicey, but those are good things. If I make those ultimate things, they will enslave me. And if I hold on to those things like this, how you doing, my man? You want to come up and preach? What <laughs> If I let these things become ultimate things in my life, they will own me more than I will own them. And ultimately, when I pass from this life, because that's a guarantee, everyone in this room's going. I don't know when, I don't know the day, and I don't know the hour, but you can guarantee it's going to happen. You have Everything that you've amassed in that invisible vault has vanished. Mothers and fathers who make their life about their children, one of the worst statements I've ever heard is, I live for my children. I'm like, oh no, don't live for your children. They're not worth it. That's, wait a minute, what are you talking about? That's a terrible thing to say. No, they're not. They're human beings. I love my children. I don't live for them. Why? Because I live for Christ. Therefore, it allows me, it frees me to love them the way that I should love them, that I'm supposed to love them. Do you understand? It's only the freedom of loving and living for Christ that allows me to go into this open space and act and live the way that I was always intended to be. Free, truly loving, giving out of a sense of generosity, not because I feel like I'm going to get some kind of a payback. Man, this is powerful, beautiful, beautiful stuff. All right, so let's look at them idols again. Idol, an idol is an outward devotion that is aimed at meeting an inward need. So make no mistake about it. When you and I engage in idolatry, it's really a form of self-worship. At the end of the day, we were all created to be worshipers. 
No one can't be a worshiper. The question for you, me, all of us, is who are we going to worship? Am I going to worship me? Well, I'm going to tell you something. I've lived worshiping myself for a long time. You know who else is it worthy of living for? Me. Why? I've been a tyrant to myself. I, if I were giving myself counsel, I'd say, don't listen to that guy. He has led you down some really crazy roads. Listen to this one over here. He proved he loved you. He lived and died for you. Not this guy who just keeps taking with both hands. So this is what an idol is, and this is what we should run from. Paul realized, because we're talking about Paul, when he met Jesus Christ, risen on that road to Damascus, you know what he realized more than anything else? That his righteousness was a sham. He realized that it was a poorly veiled attempt at self-worship. Now the next thing that we have to do is we have to ask, ask and answer the question, what is righteousness? You know the problem with that answer is? We have no basis for understanding righteousness in our modern world. You know why? From about 1940 all the way back from the antiquities and the beginning of time, we lived in honor-based society. That means we did what was right because we were attached to our family. We married the right way. We lived the right Grace, is, She knows. She, she remembers. She's like, man, you know, our mothers, our fathers, they would kind of instill in us, no, 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 this is what's right to do. Remember, you, you represent us in this world. But after about 1940, 1950, that started to wane away. And now we've become uh, ruggedly independent. And we feel like we've been uh, liberated from the need to live for, for the honor of others. And I'm going to tell you something. The old system was very much a slavery too. Because if I live in such a way where I can only do what's pleasing to my family, what if my family says, I don't want you to follow Christ? You know what I mean? Isn't that what one guy said to Jesus? He's like, hey, man, I want to follow you. Let me follow you. And he's like, okay, great. Come follow me right now. And the guy goes, wait, I got to go home. And I got to wait till my mom and dad die. And then, then I'll do it. He's like, no, no, no. The time's now. Let the dead bury the dead. Sounds a little bit cold, but he's saying that's a slave master. It's an idol. But let me tell you something. Righteousness is built in, into something. There's a, there's a very valuable aspect of righteousness. And this is what it is. It is within us, a, uh, it is our reason. If we were to boil it down, righteousness is our reason for claiming worth. We are, as human beings, addicted to looking at ourselves in the mirror and finding a reason for our existence. This is why I'm worth. I'm a good this. I'm a good that. I'm a good parent. I'm a good whatever. I've got education. I'm smart. I married well. I have children. My kids are in college. I've bought a house. I, these are all attempts at us to look in the mirror and say, you have value because of this, 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 and this. Every human being has it. And here's the real crazy part. Religion, apart from intimate surrender and knowledge to Christ, works hand in glove with it. God can give me a gift. I can use it. I, God will use somebody, a gift, to convert 30,000 people. But at night, they're just like the Pharisees. Thank you, Lord, that I'm not like the other guy. 
Thank you, Lord, that I use my word to bring people to you. We love to exalt our faith. I've said this before. I want to say it again. You're not saved by your faith. You're saved by the object of your faith. Or your faith is really a celebration of what you bring to the table. This is the truth, and this is what Paul is coming into the light of. Can you imagine this guy's life? It is our reason for claiming worth. Our righteousness is a validating performance record. And because man is addicted to and determined to earn his worth, we believe because we have earned it with effort, our record is the key to opening doors and gaining us accent. You know what? I've told you this before. One of the reasons I dislike my job is because I believe I'm an excellent employee. I work hard. I go above and beyond every time. And I'll always see someone else get those plum jobs. And I get angry with it. And sometimes I'll even go, God, how do you let this stuff keep happening to me? Why aren't you doing something? I thought you said you work justice for the oppressed. You know what he's doing? He's freeing me. That's, a, that's, an, that's an evidence there's a stubborn root of self-righteousness in me. I deserve. That's why you see some people follow Christ their whole life and a tragedy will happen. A kid will die in a car accident. Their wives or husbands will die from a cancer. Tragedy out of nowhere. I've served you my whole life. How could you let this happen to me? Did I do something for you to turn your back on me? You know how many people say that? You know what that's an evidence of? They were really worshiping you and using God as the engine to get where you wanted to go. These are scary things. I know it. But Paul is a wonderful example for us that only the power of God can rescue from this tyranny. Paul lived his whole life this way. He was an idolater who knew the one true God. Isn't that scary? He knew the one true God. He knew him better than you and I. And you know what? He was an idolater. He was an orphan the whole time. And he was the last person who knew it. Remember when Jesus saw the Pharisees on the road and he goes, you guys are illegitimate children. And they're like, how dare you? You're the illegitimate one. We know your history, bud. What he was doing was he's like, I haven't come here to condemn you. I've come here to save you. You're an illegitimate child and you're under that slavery of constantly having to earn and prove your worth over and over and over. And I'm here to free you, man. I'm not your enemy. I'm your Boy, this is amazing. But what did they do? Beat it. Not only did they beat it, they got together and they said, how can we shut this guy up? And I mean permanent life. But Paul, Paul was different. Paul's going down the road. He had the same mentality. But I'm just going to say this is the difference. When God calls you by name, you respond. You respond. Jesus talked to 10,000 people sometimes at one point. You know who came out? The ones who heard his voice. My sheep know my voice, and I know my sheep, and they come to me. You know what that's from? 
in the old days, all the shepherds would put themselves in a, 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 out in the field. They would bring it to a big pen, and everyone would have 20 sheep here, 30 sheep here, 100 sheep here. But the shepherd had such an intimate relationship with the sheep, walking daily with them, feeding them, leading them, guiding them, their sense of security, that in the morning, the shepherd would come and go, oh, sheep, oh, sheep. And only the sheep who belonged to the shepherd would come out. The other ones were like, no, 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 I don't know who that guy is. But Jesus says, I'm the sheep of God's elect. I'm the shepherd of God's elect. And my sheep, they know me. They come out. Man, Paul was a sheep and he didn't know it. When Paul saw Jesus Christ, he sees the living embodiment of righteousness. He sees for the first time the reason and the source of life. Everything that Paul had built his life on, everything that he stood upon, the ground on which he stood in an instant came crashing down around him. Why? Because Paul was overwhelmed by one thing. We see it in Romans 7, covetousness. What do you mean? Well, covetousness is me wanting something other than what God has given me. It's me looking, we look, we're like, oh, that car, I'd love to have that car, that house, I want to have that house, I want to have that job, I want to have this, I want to have that. But all of those things kind of read, they lead to this one root. It's me getting to call the shots of what I think I deserve. And Paul, when he meets Christ, he realized that he wanted a righteousness that he earned, excluding God from glory. You know what that means in essence? Paul wanted God to owe him. And he meets Christ and he's like, Lee, you are righteousness. I can see it clearly. And I thought I was righteous in that. I'm not. You're the reason I'm actually here. I see, looking at you, I lived for me for 24 years. And then he was like overwhelmed. He was so overwhelmed, he dropped down from his horse. He was blinded by it. Paul understood, looking at Jesus, what real goodness was, what divine excellence was. Paul understood what worship really was and what value and glory really was and truly was. But he also, in an instant, knew what it wasn't. Paul was stripped before God. Do you want the fullness of of what he has for you. Don't be afraid to let him strip you of your worth. Because any other worth apart from his worth is a sinking, shifting sand. Paul was accused and convicted in an instant. What was his crime? Coveted a righteousness of his own effort. He wanted God to owe him. Paul didn't want to remove or replace God from his throne like most people. I don't think that they want to remove God. They don't want to replace him. But you know what most people want? A small spot next to him on the throne. They're like, hey, move over. Give me a couple inches. I think I've earned this. And God says, no. This seat's for me and me alone. I won't share my glory with you. Glory equals weight, and you can't carry the weight. 
See, God's not stingy. He knows. It's like a kid who says, I'm tired of listening to your rules. I'm tired of you being the boss over me. I want to be the boss over myself. You're like, kid, you don't even know what life is. <laughs> Sometimes adults. <laughs> so let's look at three things quickly because we got about, maybe about, about five, five, six minutes. First, we're going to look at position, Paul's position, Paul's confidence, and Paul's hope. Okay, let's look at the position. He says this, if anyone is reasonable, I have more. This is not an overestimation. Most likely, this is just giving you the history of what I've known about Paul and studied about Paul. Most likely, he was the only son of a very prominent and influential and wealthy family. That means he had money and he had status and he had a future. Money, as much as we you know, know that it has power over us, let's be honest, it is not evil, it's when I desire it more than anything else that it's evil. Money is neither evil nor good. But if I, you know, I'm just going to be honest with you, I wouldn't mind having some of it. Well, you know what? Paul was like that. He was like that. Man, he had it all. Let's look at him. On top of all those things, Paul was academically gifted. He was, at the age of 13, accepted into the largest rabbinical school at the time in Jerusalem. On top of all this stuff, he was personally invited into a mental relationship with a man named Gamaliel, which means the beauty of the law. Now, here's the deal about Gamaliel. Gamaliel was the grandson of a man named Hillel. Hillel was like one of two of the greatest rabbis in Jewish antiquity. You either were from the school of Hillel or the school of Shemai. And these guy, this guy, I mean, he, he's been long dead, but he was powerful, and, and Gamaliel was, like, revered. So this is my guess. Even though he was gifted, because I'm sure there was others that were gifted, he had connections. That means I think he was related somehow to Gamaliel, because you don't get that position just because you're gifted. You get that position because someone spoke to you or spoke for you. I believe he was the nephew or he was the first cousin to Gamaliel. So Gamaliel takes this kid under the wing. So let me just give you in our world what that would mean. That would mean that you're the sister, you're, you're the son of the sister or brother of one of the Supreme Court justices. And you have now graduated school. You've shown yourself to be intelligent, wise, gifted. And he says, I want you to be my clerk as a Supreme Court justice. You know what that means? there's a very good chance that you're going to be a Supreme Court justice one day. That's how it works in the world. You know, I, I watched this crazy thing. It's a special about the presidents. Did you know this? All but one of our presidents are related to at least one other president in, in, president in history. It's Donald Trump. So he, he's the only one who's not related. He's not related. <laughs> But everyone else, they're related to one. You know what that tells me? Somehow, power and influence stays within a tight little group. And Paul was in that group. So he had a lot to live for. His resume was really, truly impressive. So when he meets Christ, he doesn't ask him like he asked me, let go of stuff that's going to kill you. That addiction stuff? man, it's ruined your life. You have no reputation. Your mind is broken. Your back is broken. You have no, nobody trusts you. Even your own family is getting ready to leave you. That's all he asked me for. What he asked Paul for, he's like, see all that, that, that valuable stuff that everybody wishes they had? I'm going to ask you to surrender that to me. Oh, that's a different level. 
That's why Jesus could say this. You want to follow after me? You must love me more than you love your own mother and father, even your own children. I know a guy that I mentored almost up to the point of baptism. And he said, wait a minute. I just read that I'm supposed to love them more than I love my own mother. And I go, yeah, but you realize if you love him like this, you'll be able to love your mother in a way you've never loved her before. He left. He's like, I can't do it. That's a crazy thing, man. This is what Christ has asked Paul to do. Okay, let's keep going. Paul had money. He had skill. He had talent. He had supreme training. He had a powerful and influential network that he could work through and get success. Everything he did was aimed at a historic level biography. And here's the crazy thing. His name was not Paul. It was Saul. You know what the word Saul means in Hebrew? It means asked for by God. So his mother prayed day in and day out. That's why I believe he was an only son. There was no lineage. If you didn't have a male child in the Jewish culture, you kind of took a notch down, right? Sadly, I don't know why they thought this way, but they did. And she was praying, I don't have a son. Give me a son. Don't just give me a son. Give me a gifted son. Oh, I'm the granddaughter of Hillel. Surely you'll bless us because of him. Give us this thing. When he was born, he was a mother's dream. He was smart right from the beginning. He was good looking. He was athletic. He was everything that they wanted. But this is what happened. When Saul went on his mission to kill Christians, and you know why he went on that mission to kill Christians? It wasn't for zeal as much as we think, I think. This was his crowning action. He would have been a crusader. If I wipe out this upstart heretical sect of Judaism, I'll be remembered forever. I will be that rabbinical school headmaster. They'll read books about me. That's my belief. But when he went on that road to Damascus, he went away as Saul, asked for, looked in the mirror, and he's like, you know, Saul, I am everything my mother prayed for. I am exactly the pinnacle of what men is supposed to do. And you know what happens when he meets Jesus? His name changes to Paul. You know what Paul means? Little Paul. Great asked for Paul. I'm Saul. I'm Saul. My mother prayed years for me. And he meets Christ and he goes, I'm not Saul. I'm little. I'm inconsequential. Why? Because when you stand in the presence of a king like him, you can't wear kingly clothes on. Let's keep moving by. I got five more minutes. Give me five more minutes. I could say that forever. So don't think it's five minutes. No, I'm going to get it. He meets God, the God that he studied for his whole life for the first time. And standing in his presence, Paul realizes that he doesn't love the God that he studied. He actually hated him. He hated him so much that he was trying to kill him. And what response does God after? Does God offer this violent rebel? He doesn't offer him death. He doesn't offer him condemnation. This is where it gets tough. We oftentimes say, I just want what's fair. If we got what was fair, we would all be damned to hell. Every one of us. Because we've all fallen short of the glory of God. But he doesn't get that. 
What does he get? He gets an invitation. Paul, why are you persecuting me? He gets an election. It's Jesus saying, Paul, I've chosen you. You think, I want you to know that I've wanted you your whole life. Even though you hated me, Paul, I have loved you. Even though you wanted to replace me and remove me, I have opened up a door for you that no one can close. Though you have resisted me and you have limited me, I have lived for you. I sacrificed for your well-being and I've died for your release from this death sentence that you didn't even know you were living. And he was overwhelmed. And because he was overwhelmed, now he had a different confidence. And what is this? Whatever was my profit, my boast, whatever I thought was valuable, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. He said, I want to know Jesus. I want to know the fullness of surrender. I want to know the power of his resurrection in the fellowship of Sarah and his sufferings. He's like, I don't care what it is. Because I'm with him, I'll suffer and I'll consider it a great gift because of this love. think that's power that's power that's power the world don't get and when they see it it is literally cultural changing when people are willing to die for christ and the world that doesn't believe god exists and if he does exist isn't good they see it and they're like what the heck is that let's just finish up so now his hope is this have I obtained all this? No. Have I already been made perfect? No. But I do this one thing. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ has took hold of me. Paul wanted personal surrender. He desired it now more than anything else. Do you want that? That's a good indicator. You know why? Because it's only those who are willing to surrender that can get everything else. So let's stand up. And let's worship. God, I look to you. I won't be Give me vision to see things like you do. God, I look to you. You're where my help comes from. Give me wisdom. You know just what to do. God, I look to you. I won't be overwhelmed. Give me vision to see things like you do. God, I look to you. You're where my help comes from. Give me wisdom to know just what to do. And I will love you, Lord, my strength. I will.
Grab someone's hands. You know, I don't want to uh, get somebody's physical line. I got to read this, but I'm going to get in there. Uh, I was talking to somebody, and uh, they had recently lost a wife, and their hearts were broken because of it. And uh, I want to say to that person um, that you were made for Christ. And you know what? Sometimes you can't feel the fullness of his healing, his love, and his fullness of his, his, his value that he offers you in his, in his commitment to you when you share your heart. And it's right for us to share our heart with the one we love, our, our wives or our husbands or children. But sometimes God allows us to just be alone with him. And uh, I just want to say this. Once we desired ease and comfort, but now because we are his child, we strive, we labor for the success and the prosperity of others. We see it now as a great privilege to serve him. We once desired to be loved and welcomed by the crowds around us, but now it's okay if we are alone because we're never alone because he has promised to never forsake us. It's okay if we're not part of the in crowd. As a child of God, we are comfortable in our relationship with Christ, even if it separates us from the cultural currents around us. It's okay if that relationship leaves us with a little less than everyone else has. We refuse to digress into tribalism 
where we demonize those who are outside of the camp. Instead, we seek to serve even them, to honor them and to love them as a witness of God's grace and his goodness and to live as a witness of his justice. Let's pray. Father God, I am at awe of who you are and what you do. I am grateful to be a part of this small, teeny part. But Lord God, even the smallest part has intense value in your calling. Lord God, it's not in what I do or what others think of me. It's in what you have committed to act toward us that gives us value and significance. Please, Lord God, exalt yourselves in us, in this church. I pray that those around us would hear our praises and it would wake them from their slumber and they would drift in from the things around us. We pray this, Lord God, in one voice, wanting you to be exalted in Jesus' name. And the saints said amen. You guys have a great day.